it was uh, in the years prior to World War II, Vienna, Austria was known for different things. But one of the things it was known for was having a collection of world-renowned psychiatrists. And one of them was Sigmund Freud. And Freud spent years uh, counseling people and observing human nature. And so one of the things that he concluded was that the most basic drive in human beings was the drive for pleasure. That it was actually pleasure that is what motivated humans. And there was a second master psychiatrist of that era in Vienna, and his name was Alfred Adler. And he too spent decades studying human behavior, and he came to the conclusion that uh, the bottom line explanation for human behavior is power that all of us grow up feeling inferior and powerless and so life is a drive to gain control to feel that we are important and there was a younger psychiatrist by the name of Viktor Frankl and he was young and up and coming and uh, he was at the point where his career was just starting to take off but then that was about the same time that the Germans invaded Austria and so Viktor Frankl unlike Freud and Adler he didn't have their resources, he didn't have their connections, and so they were able to leave that part of Europe before the Nazis invaded. And so Viktor Frankl then is taken captive, Jewish man that he was, and so Frankl is taken captive and he spends four long years in a Nazi concentration camp. And so, um, and the war is over, and then he is released from the concentration camp and resumes his career. And so uh, he reflects on his time as a prisoner, and he noticed something that he thought was quite strange, that the people who survived were not always the ones that you would expect. That there were people that on the outside, they seemed nice and strong. But then they were the people who sort of wasted away to nothing. And then he noticed that there were people that would have seemed maybe some of the weaker people. But then through those four long, grueling years in the concentration camp, they were the ones who were able to sort of survive that. They were the ones who fared much better. And so he came to some conclusions, and he reflected on the theories of his mentors, and he said that Freud's pleasure principle uh, couldn't explain what he had witnessed. He said for four desperate and terrible years that the men in that camp knew only pain, suffering, and degradation. That pleasure was not a word in their vocabulary, vocabulary in the concentration camps. That it certainly wasn't pleasure that was keeping them going. And then he thought about Adler's theory about basic uh, human need being power. And he said they didn't fare well either. 
He said Franco and his, his fellow Jews were completely powerless during their time in the concentration camps. That each day they stared down the barrels of loaded guns. They were treated like animals. And they felt boots on their faces at times. He said that they had no power and no prospect of power while they were in these camps. And so then he came up with his own theory that the difference between those who survived and those who perished was hope. And so that's what we're talking about today is this basic idea of hope. And we begin by looking at the number of places where Holy Scripture tells us where we should not put our hope. 1 Timothy 6.17 Command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant, nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. And so Paul writing to his younger protege Timothy and saying, hey, you know, money is not a place that's going to get you where you want to go. Yes, it may take care of some headaches, but it should not be a source of hope. And Paul writes it here that, that wealth is uncertain. I remember hearing um, Chris Seedman, who over the years has been one of my favorite preachers, and he preaches in uh, one area of Dallas. And I brought this up once before a few years ago, but I think it bears repeating, that Seedman said that you know, living in Dallas, that there's plenty of wealth in a city the size of Dallas. And he said that what he would notice is that some people, whenever there was a problem, they would simply throw money at it. And he said, but then you get to a point where money doesn't solve your problems. And he brought up health as one example of that. That you can get to a point where, yeah, you can, your money can take you to the best hospitals in the country, whether it's the Mayo Clinic or Johns Hopkins in Baltimore or the Cleveland Clinic. You can go to the best hospitals, world renowned physicians, but at some point, all the money in the world can't cure you. And so we're reminded, church, that wealth is not a place to put our hope. Psalm 118.8, it is better to take refuge in the Lord than to trust in humans. And so we're reminded that human beings, we're to love human beings, we're to cherish human beings, but human beings as the source of our, of our hope is going to leave us empty. That even the best of human beings will fail. Psalm 146.3 echoes this. Do not trust in princes, in mortal man, in whom there is no salvation. And again, Jeremiah 17.5, this is what the Lord says. Cursed is the man who trusts in mankind, who makes the flesh his strength, and turns his heart from the Lord. 
And so we've talked before, haven't we, about when we see something repeated in Scripture, that we should especially... And so we're given multiple examples of how trusting in human beings as a source of hope is going to leave us disappointed and empty in the long run. In Habakkuk 2.19, you are doomed. You say to a piece of wood, wake up, or to a block of stone, get up. Can an idol reveal anything to you? It may be covered with silver and gold, but there is no life in it. And we think about idols. We think about the ancient Israelites. And boy, could they have had it so good. And it's easy for us to look back and sort of be the Monday morning quarterback and say, well, if only they had done this, if only they had done that. But we can look back and say God's God's intention was to bless the people of Israel like no other people on the planet if only they had done what, church? Remained faithful to Him. But what did they do? They wanted to be like everyone around them. And everyone around them worshipped pagan gods. They worshipped false gods. And they're like, well, boy, we've just got one god, and they've got more gods than us. Well, we want more gods. And in our world today, doesn't that doesn't have to take much for us to be distracted from God. We can be distracted by people. We can be distracted by technology. We can be distracted by our drive for wealth, as we just talked about. So many things that can distract us from being faithful to God. And so what the scripture, what the prophet was telling the people is you're doomed if you're putting your hope in stuff that's created by human beings. That it's never going to happen. The stuff that's fashioned with human hands out of stone or wood. It might be nice to look at. It might display some creativity. But other than its aesthetic value, that's where it ends. And while we are not people who put up shrines to pagan gods in our homes, we are people that I think are easily distracted. It's one reason I pray that prayer every Sunday morning before I begin this part of our assembly with saying, God, clear our minds from the distractions. Because if you're like me, Sometimes it doesn't take much to move my mind from where it should be to somewhere over here. And so, God forgive us for being easily distracted. God forgive us for the idols that we can prop up in our lives. 
And so Isaiah 31, 1, Woe to those who go down to Egypt for help, who rely on horses, who trust in the multitude of their chariots and in the great strength of their horsemen, but do not look to the Holy One of Israel or seek help from the Lord. In other words, the prophet Isaiah is saying, don't put your hope in human government. That that's not a place. There's not a political party. There may be a political party that you say, that aligns with my ideals and that's where I'm going to cast my vote. Sure. But to put your hope, to think that God is going to save the world or save our country through a political party. No. We don't put our hope in human government. What's the problem with human government? It's occupied by humans, right? Yeah. And so we've already seen what Scripture tells us about putting our ultimate hope in humans. We can like humans, we can love humans, we can have confidence in some humans to get certain jobs done. Absolutely. But to put our ultimate hope in humanity, because what is humanity? Humanity's broken. Humanity needs a Savior. And praise God, He loved us enough to give us a Savior. And so I remember talking to someone. I was at Lipscomb University and I was at an event and I said to about, you know, the person who had, we were taking a break and the person who was conducting this workshop and I was just, I was just so impressed by their teaching. And I said, boy, you know, he's, he's really got some great ideas and all this kind of stuff. And I guess I sounded a little too enamored with my fellow preacher because the guy sitting to my right, who was one of my graduate school seminary classmates, he said, yeah, but he's just as broken as the rest of us. And you know what? John Micah was exactly right that the guy doing that workshop is just as broken as the rest of us. He is every bit is in, in need of a Savior as any of you or me. And so another place that we don't put our hope is in government. And so then that turns to where we do put our hope. And so let's look at Psalm uh, 42. Some words that will sound familiar to most every one of us. As the deer pants for streams of water, so my soul pants for you, my God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. Where can I go and meet with God? My tears have been my food day and night. While people say to me all day long, where is your God? These things I remember as I pour out my soul. How I used to go to the house of God under the protection of the Mighty One with shouts of joy and praise among the festive throng. Why, my soul, are you downcast? 
Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise Him, my Savior and my God. Aren't those beautiful words? Aren't those comforting words? My soul longs after you, and I love this idea of hungering and thirsting for something. Just last night, I was able to attend yet another Hope Center graduation, and it was a, uh, a guy that uh, I had counseled in phase one. Adam Nutt counseled him for eight and a half months when he was in phase two of his recovery program. And... Uh, I wasn't sure that Adam was going to be able to make it and join us. Uh, uh, Adam thought it started at 6, it started at 5. And so there I was at, you know, 4.59 trying to call Adam. And the recovery coordinator had already tried to call Adam. Adam's in the shower, you know. He wasn't taking calls right then. And so, but, but I messaged him and I said, hey, we're starting and he's fourth. And, you know, so if you can make it, come on. Because I knew it was going to be after 5.30 before uh, the introduction happened. But if, if Adam didn't make it, I was up to introduce the guy. And one thing I loved about Justin, when we were in my office during the first six weeks, as we met every Tuesday and Friday for six weeks, and sitting in my office, and Justin would look up behind me at those books on the wall, and he said, can I borrow one of those? I said, take your pick, man. So he'd pull one off the shelf, and he'd come back a week later, and he'd say, that was good. And then he said, and I said, pick another one. And he'd pick another one. With all the assignments that he had, and all the, the manual labor that he was doing during the day, and all the stuff he had going on, he took time to read these books. Why? Because he was hungering and thirsting for righteousness. He knew the life he had lived. He knew all the places that he had put his hope. And he knew how empty it left him. That all those places that he had put his hope, all he, the places that he had turned to fulfill himself or numb the pain, left him empty. And every recovering addict will tell you the same thing. And how many of us can, can include that as part of our testimony? We might have not have turned to drugs and alcohol for fulfillment. But I've heard many a Christian, many a good brother and sister in Christ, has told me tales of how at a time in their life they looked for love in all the wrong places. They put their hope in places where there ultimately was no hope. And we're reminded that hope is in God. In God's ability to pick up the pieces and put the broken back together. In God's ability to give us a Savior in Christ Jesus. So now let's turn to uh, Colossians chapter 1 as we begin to conclude our time together this morning. 
the end of Colossians 1, beginning with verse 24. Now I rejoice in what I am suffering for you, and I fill up in my flesh what is still lacking in regard to Christ's afflictions. For the sake of his body, which is the church, I have become its servant by the commission God gave me to present to you the word of God in its fullness. The mystery that has been kept hidden for ages and generations, but is now disclosed to the Lord's people. To them God has chosen to make known among the Gentiles the glorious riches of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. He is the one we proclaim, admonishing and teaching everyone with all wisdom, so that we may present everyone fully mature in Christ. To this end, I strenuously contend with all the energy Christ so powerfully works in me. Now, I want to read that again from a different translation. And maybe this time you just close your eyes and let these words sort of wash over you. If that helps you to concentrate a little better. I am glad when I suffer for you in my body, for I am participating in the sufferings of Christ that continue for his body, the church. God has given me the responsibility of serving his church by proclaiming his entire message to you. This message was kept secret for centuries and generations past, but now it has been revealed to God's people. For God wanted them to know that the riches and glory of Christ are for you Gentiles too. And this is the secret. Christ lives in you. This gives you assurance of sharing his glory. So we tell others about Christ, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all the wisdom God has given us. We want to present them to God perfect in their relationship to Christ. That is why I work and struggle so hard, depending on Christ's mighty power that works within me. Reminding us there that it's not us, it's not what we can do as human beings, but it is the power of Christ working in us and through us. Left to our own devices, what are we good at? Well, I know that left to my own devices, I'm good at caring about myself. Left to my own devices, I'm going to say, hey, I'm looking out for number one right here. Yep, that's what I'm doing. You know, need help? Good luck. I got, I got myself to worry about. But when Christ lives in me, I change my focus. Oh, believe me, not always. <laughs> I fall short. Some of you know I fall short because there are times that I have disappointed some of you. No doubt. But, by the power of Christ in me, 
I love people. And I care about people. Oh, it's natural for me to want to be around people. That's my nature. People recharge my batteries. I enjoy the company of people. But left to my own devices, I don't know how deeply I really care about them. But with Christ in me and working through me, it changes my focus. And I find myself doing things that I never would have done. And I've given those examples in the past, and I'm not going to do that again this morning. But all the things that I could have looked at at one time in my life and said, I'm one of the people who are called to do that. That's not me. And then yet, God has called me to do some of those very things. And I praise God that I've been able to do those. And sometimes it's because of this church and this eldership that I've been able to do some of those things in serving people and serving God's kingdom in various ways. And I look at the way some of you all are at work quietly behind the scenes. And I praise God for you. I praise God for people that work and don't want any notoriety for it. And why do we do that? Is it because we're left to our... Is it because it's natural within us, left to our own devices? I don't think so. I think that when I see you serving in different capacities, it's because Christ is working in you and through you. It is the power of Christ. And so we conclude this morning with 1 Peter chapter 1 verse 13 therefore with minds that are alert and fully sober set your hope on the grace to be brought to you when Jesus Christ is revealed at his coming I love how Paul in in Colossians 1 talks about the mystery and says but that mystery was revealed what's the mystery church they were waiting for centuries for the chosen one of God They were waiting for the Son of God. They were waiting for the Christ, the Messiah. And then He came and Paul is saying, and then that mystery was revealed. And praise God that God loved us enough to give us that Savior. Praise God that He was revealed to us. And everything we need to know about Him. Oh, I've I've got questions. But everything that I need to know is contained right here in Scripture. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John tell us about Jesus. The book of Acts tells us about the early church. People like Paul and Peter and others then fill in the gaps and give us a fuller, fuller message. But praise God that we set our hope on the grace to be brought when Jesus Christ is revealed at His coming. May we all be ready for Jesus Christ's return. Because if we're not, that what could be the happiest day of our lives could be a very sad day.
And so that's why we offer the invitation. That is why we invite you. Every week, I conclude this message by inviting you to come if there's something weighing on you that you would appreciate the prayers of your brothers and sisters in Christ. Or if you've not been living the way that you really feel like you need to be living, we give you the opportunity to walk the aisles and confess that. And you can experience the restoration that Peter himself experienced after he denied Christ. And then maybe you're here and you have not yet begun that faithful walk with the Lord that begins by saying, I do believe with all my heart that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. And if you're ready to do that today, then we make the waters of baptism available to you. Let's stand and sing.